0: Welcome to episode number 32 of the Video Game History Hour, presented by the Video Game History Foundation. Every episode will be bringing in an expert guest, someone who's done their research or lived through it and has an interesting story from video game history to tell. My name is Kelsey Lew, and I'm the co-director of the Video Game History Foundation, and I'm here, as always, with Frank Safaldi, the founder and co-director of the Video Game History Foundation.
1: Thank you, Kelsey. And our guest today is editor and journalist Eric Switzer. Eric's here today to tell us about the development and downfall of Darkwatch, the 2005 game that, in another universe, might still be a major franchise today. He recently published an article called The Untold Story of Darkwatch on thegamer.com. Eric, welcome to the Video Game History Hour.
2: Thank you so much. I'm excited to talk about Darkwatch. I'm glad to have you here because, uh, Eric, I've never
1: played Darkwatch. Can you
2: describe it? Me neither. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Darkwatch, uh, as you said, is a 2005 uh, first-person shooter um, set in the Haunted West. It stars a train robber named Jericho Cross who finds himself in the middle of a uh, magical war between the vampires and the forces of the undead, and a secret society called Dark Watch, uh, an ancient organization that formed to fight back against the forces of evil. Uh, Dark Watch. Um, uh, Jericho gets bitten by a vampire, becomes one, and uh, joins the good guys to to fight evil. So, what's the sort of like
1: gameplay hook? So, do you have like vampire powers?
2: Yeah. So, uh, it's very much in the same vein as Halo. Um, uh, single-player campaign uh he does have vampire powers he's got a very like floaty jump he's got blood shields and uh throughout the game you you acquire more vampire powers but it's uh i think at the time it was probably uh, considered a, a halo clone because it's very close uh, in gameplay style
0: yeah i mean speaking of halo uh i had no idea this thing had 16 player online multiplayer on original xbox i this To me, always looked like a single player game, and with multiplayer being kind of like a like an afterthought type thing. So I had no idea it was so huge.
2: (laughs) You know, it kind of was an afterthought. Uh, They that that online mode was exclusive to Xbox. Uh, PlayStation had an exclusive level uh, because there was no online infrastructure, not really, uh, for the PlayStation Two. So yeah, so those those came in very those features came in very last minute. Um, but I, I think that was something that they really wanted, uh, especially for the sequels had that, had that happen. They really wanted an online focus for it.
1: Well, you're saying they, and really the story of Darkwatch in a lot of ways is the story of its team, its creators. So, uh, can you tell us who they were and how they kind of came together?
2: Yeah. Um, so I, I think the story really starts with John Rowe. Uh, John Rowe was a, uh, VP at Midway, um, and, Sometime after he had left the company, he was hired by uh, a Japanese company called Sammy Corporation. Sammy Corporation had some success with arcade games uh, in the 80s, um, but really no, no, not much of a video game preference. They were uh, presence. They were more of a like a pachinko company.
1: Hey, come on, Vice <laughs>
2: Project Doom on the NES. Come on. I, I think there will Vice be Project some Doom. things people would remember. <laughs> um, but. They wanted to uh, expand to the West. They wanted to get uh, a presence uh, in the US. So they uh, started a new studio in Carlsbad, California, uh, headed up by John Rowe. And John Rowe brought in um, a developer named Emmanuel Valdez that he had worked with at Midway. Uh, Emmanuel knew um, a couple other developers that. Uh, I think one of them he had went to school with. His name was Far Farzad uh, Faramian. Farzad worked with a developer named Chris Olm. Chris Olm brought in a developer named Paul O'Connor. And those four, Ohm, uh, Faramian, Valdez, and O'Connor, are credited as the four co-creators of Darkwatch.
0: And you had mentioned that three of these guys worked on the Oddworld games too right so i mean it's the were they all kind of like a package deal leaving i don't know if you even got this this history but i was just curious about that if they like all left working on uh, (laughs) so odd world inhabitants at the same time or something
2: paul o'connor and farzad um and chris had all worked on chris ulm had all worked on odd world together they had left I don't know if they had all left at the same time, but I know that they had done the first two Oddworld games. Um, they weren't at Oddworld at the time that this studio started, uh, but uh, this studio, which uh, I we just call Sammy US uh, or Sammy Studios, uh, was really a combination of midway developers and Oddworld developers. So when it first started out, they were kind of calling it like midworld, or odd way, <laughs> because it, it was sort of a combination of, of those two uh, houses. Well,
1: so hang on. We're, this is in California. Uh, Midway was like Chicago, right? Mm-hmm. So this wasn't a regional get-together. So people moved for this?
2: A lot of people moved for this, yeah. Okay. And it was a big studio. Um, they weren't just making one game. They were making a couple. They were going to be doing publishing. They were not just uh, the games that they were making, but other games. Uh, they had a mocap studio. They built up um, a 30,000 square foot facility and hired um, somewhere around 200 employees uh, very quickly to start this this initiative.
1: And this seems like, uh, you know, they're trying to, to crack into the Western video game market, but this also seems to be a, a new IP incubator, uh, which is why I think the, that core might have uh, come together, right?
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, they The the lessons they had sort of taken from working on Oddworld and what they were passionate about was creating new IPs that they could own uh, and control and build up, not just for more video games, uh, but for all kinds of uh, types of media. Um, Chris Ulm had come from the comic book industry, so uh, his background was in... Um, taking things like men in black or the ultraverse and expanding them into larger properties like films and stuff. And he had seen that happen. And uh, I think that that was sort of the background that they took on when they wanted to make their games was that uh, if you make a a good character or you make a good world, it shouldn't just be one thing. Uh, It can expand into film and comics and all kinds of different. (laughs) Synergy kid. Yeah. (laughs) So, Darkwatch wasn't
1: their their first concept. Uh, it seemed like they had uh, a couple that got uh, fairly involved develop, development wise, right?
2: Yeah. So um, they were they were looking at some different things. They were looking at maybe some IPs that uh, Sammy owned. Um, There's some concepts uh, that I saw that were really beautiful that Farzad had done for uh, an Echo the Dolphin remake. Um, but eventually they started developing um, a project at the time. It was called Code of the West and Code of the West became Darkwatch, but it was nothing like Darkwatch. It was very slapstick. It was very silly. Uh, the main character's name was Chaz Bartlett. And he was sort of this near to well gambler type. Um, he at one point he had a, a sidekick monkey. You can imagine it was very much Every like game a kid's a sidekick, cartoon.
0: Mon- sidekick monkey. That's a.
2: None of Sidekick <laughs> monkeys. <laughs> um yeah, so he was sometimes he was like a watchmaker, sometimes he looked like Woody from Toy Story. And uh it was it was a very comedic game, partly because, you know, coming off of Oddworld, uh, which is a pretty dark universe, um, they were just kind of wanted to mix it up and do something light and, and
0: you know, Oddworld is dark, but it's still slapsticky. Like they, you know, they've kept in that series, they've kept in like the fart jokes and the burping and all of that stuff. So I I don't know. It almost seems like they're just kind of carving out that part and maybe just dropping the really, really dark themes, <laughs> maybe.
2: Yeah, it's true. You can definitely see the Oddworld DNA in that early stuff that they were working on.
0: So what what changes with this? What? Why do they move away from so, this concept?
2: I, I asked all of them and they all give Chris Ulm the credit for this, um, the specific moment where they're, they're looking at the art uh, for code of the West and the concepts and Chris Ulm just sort of stops everyone and says like, is this a character that people want to play in a first person shooter? And I think that they all kind of collectively collectively realize that like, no, this is not like a, a good direction. For a first-person shooter game.
1: Yeah. I mean, you 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 want to be the coolest guy in the room, right? And, you know, maybe uh graded on a curve in whatever that world was. This this sort of dorky looking guy with a monkey <laughs> sidekick was the coolest guy in the room, but you know, for a first-person shooter, right? I just don't think it fits. And I thought that was a really good little anecdote um in this history article because uh Game studios struggle with that all the time with the, like, what is the, what is the like visual hook? What is the, what is the character that people like grasp onto? Like you, indie developers struggle with this constantly, even today. So it's, it's something that is, I don't know, circle of life and video game development, I guess, is, is, uh, don't fall too much in love with your own darlings, right? Like try to make something that people will actually buy.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, once they sort of came to that realization that uh, it's about the power fantasy, they swung way in the
0: opposite direction. (laughs) Yeah. They went really hard into that coolest guy in the room thing.
2: Jericho is still (laughs) the coolest guy in the room. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this guy, he he wears all black. He's got blades at the end of his fingertips. He's got a big cowboy hat. He's got like a, a glowing eye patch. Uh, he's he's definitely like that guy he's definitely that that first person shooter action hero guy well tell us a
1: little bit more about i mean maybe not his backstory or whatever but just about this this concept that they swing to so it's uh he's a he's a vampire cowboy in the old west and there's a, a lot of sort of supernatural stuff going on and the uh i imagine there's a lot of sort of blood stuff because he's a vampire like blood powers so, oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah you know I'm imagining something
2: like uh like prototype almost if you've played that game it's not a, it's not an especially gory game now okay. i say that but there there is a sex scene in the game where that takes place in a big pool of blood okay good but <laughs> <laughs> but it it has very comic book sensibilities uh, it's not exceptionally gory, and I think maybe because of the limitations of the hardware at the time, this is PS2 era. Um, but it's not campy. It's not a silly game. It's not. It's not funny. It plays it very straight. Um, and Jericho um, is doesn't speak. I don't. I think that there was a version of the script where maybe he said a few words, and they decided that. He says so little that he might as well not say anything. Just the strong sign. That's how cool that he is. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> doesn't need to say anything.
2: Yeah, uh, uh, I have. I have a confession.
1: Um, before I read this article, uh, I thought that um, Darkwatch and the Darkness were the same game. <laughs> <laughs> well, the
2: Darkness is a comic book. Yeah, exactly. So there's a there is overlap there, so and there
1: Darkwatch overlap. does seem very much like you know, an image comic book. There was
2: one dark watch comic book. Oh, was it image? Did I, did I nail it? It was in heavy metal. Okay. Dang it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I get the cover for this one and Van Helsing mixed up sometimes. So I think that's, uh, Yeah. We both have our, our confessions about not knowing anything about this game. And,
1: and I enjoy that, the, like, a lot of your frame of reference, Kelsey, being a video game retailer <laughs> is just what the cover
2: art looks like. Well, they're both, yeah.
0: like, edgy <laughs> vampires for the PS2. That's
2: <laughs> You know, so much of the gothic uh, action movies that we got in the, like, later uh, 2000s, I, 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 I'm not saying that... Darkwatch led to that stuff, but Darkwatch was certainly the first mm. um, before things like Van Helsing and uh, Priest and a lot of those like um, dark supernatural gothic action movies came around.
1: So uh, they start developing this concept, and uh, there, there's a bit of a, a corporate shakeup um, at this point. Can you tell us what happens?
2: Yeah. So the chairman of Sega uh, passed away in 2001. His name was, uh, Akawa and he had expressed to the chairman of Sammy that he was worried about the, the fate of his company, um, that he wanted it to, to be in good hands, uh, when he died. Um, so Sammy agreed to take over Sega. They merged together, uh, in 2003. And, um, at Sammy Studios, they were really excited about it at first. You know, Sega obviously has a lot more name recognition than Sammy does. Um, it seemed like that was going to do nothing but help them. But it turned out that um, Sega wasn't really interested in in Sammy Studios. Sam, Sammy Studios was doing a lot and um, had a lot of potential. But once Sega came into the picture, there wasn't anything that Sammy had to offer that Sega wasn't already doing. Sega didn't need another U.S. publisher. They didn't need a mocap studio. So this big, expensive facility uh, that they had built in Carlsbad, uh, Sega came in and kind of took a look around and said, okay, well, finish up Darkwatch and then close up shop. Um, Which, as you can imagine, the several hundred people that had moved there to start that new studio weren't super jazzed to find that out. Um, so John Rowe went to Japan and, um, he met with Satomi, uh, who, who was in charge of Sammy at the time. And he asked him basically to sell them the company, to sell them Sammy studios. Uh, and he agreed. They took it independent. And Sammy Studios at that point became High Moon Studios, which is High Moon is, is a reference to Dark There was I, a, I
0: was going to ask that. Is that does that come out of the lore of of Watch? It
2: uh, it was a piece of concept art of Jericho standing in the middle of a street at night, like as if it was like a shootout. So instead of mm. high noon, instead of high noon, it's high moon. Yeah, so it's not something that's like in the game, uh, but it is a reference to it.
1: So, you know, they, they are able to purchase their independence, but um, essentially when faced with this studio of 200 people, they're facing the same problem that uh, Sega Sammy was, right? Which is that there's a lot of bloat at this company that's not
2: right actually needed to just create this game. Yeah, so, you know, under Sammy, they're spending pachinko money. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they, um, I, I'm not, not to say that they're frivolous with their spending, but they don't have to worry about their burn rate. Well, that's it's, the nature of being owned by
1: a larger company. Yeah. Yeah. yeah of you course. Get, you have more capital to burn through because they're taking some risk, assuming that you will flourish and do something that makes them money.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So as soon as they become independent, every, everything changes, um, they have to get rid of their publisher. That's not something that they can do anymore. Everything comes down to this one game. They have to focus on getting Darkwatch done and making Darkwatch profitable, right? So, and they don't uh, have
0: a way to get it to market right now, right? I mean, they don't have someone who can publish it at this right.
2: point. Yeah. With, without Sammy, they're just a completely independent developer with, with one IP that they're working on. So the studio scales down uh, immediately, just out of necessity. Uh, they get rid of mocap, like they get rid of marketing, uh, just everything that this like big, uh, new front for Sammy was going to be, uh, kind of just has to get cut down, uh, so that High Moon can survive.
1: And to be clear, dear listener, we're also talking about like publishing stuff here, right? So it's, you know, they're no longer a publisher, so they have publishing arms like marketing and things like that, that, you know, they, there's just literally no reason to have at this point. Um, so Kind of sucks, but you know, that's the well, way especially
0: because you know, they start out, they're they're fighting for the jobs of all of these people yeah. who many of them moved to go be at the studio, and then in the end, they have to cut a bunch of them anyway. Circle yeah. of
1: life again in the games industry. <laughs> but,
2: <laughs> but the, the thing that stood out to me, uh, about this moment in the story was just how much goodwill the studio still had, yeah. you know, even though that they started out big and they were an arm of a big company they very much had a startup mentality even before they they became independent um, and they were a, a lot of these developers were close because they had worked together for a long time at other studios but when uh, when they went independent and they started cutting people um, Paul O'Connor told me that he brought um, the team together and he said you know his team he said if if you guys want to go I can get You severance off of you know the back end of this sammy deal and no no hard feelings like we're going to put out dark we're going to work as hard as we can we're going to put out dark watch and whatever happens after that i i don't know like no promises you know and not a single one of them took the offer everybody stayed on board to make the game because they that's how passionate they were about making dark watch wow
1: so they i mean obviously they really believed in this ip uh for yeah. various reasons um you know some of some of the team here actually comes from a uh an IP background right um i believe that uh there's some Malibu comics uh dna in here if i remember right yeah that's right.
2: that's chris Zom from yeah. he came from malibu
1: um so you know they're not only making this game they're they're now you know the owners of darkwatch the ip uh and there is some interest in developing the franchise into other media and they're,
2: they're sort of taking meetings about it at this point. Right. Uh, they were. Yeah. So um, I, I think that once some of the marketing material got out there, cause the, these guys uh, it, I, I went back and looked at a lot of like E3 interviews and junket stuff from the time. And these guys, especially O'Connor are like real salesmen like r- <laughs> real talkers they could this guy could sell you anything uh and so I think that at, when the marketing and this stuff started coming out for dark watch it was getting a lot of attention and they were taking meetings uh for fi- film uh w- with a, a lot of pretty prominent directors
0: and the the marketing to be clear I mean this is mostly not coming out of high moon this is coming out of the the publishers who because they 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 end up getting publishers for
2: Darkwatch. Yes, yes, they and do that's f- where that
0: money comes from, right? <laughs> right.
2: They find publishers, but um, oddly, uh, uh, several different publishers. Well, they have Capcom publishing in North America, and they have Ubisoft publishing internationally, uh, mostly in Europe. Uh, and yeah, that's where the marketing budget came from, um, and that led to meetings with uh, John DeBont, Roger Avery. James Wong, um, Paul W S Anderson, who I you know in two thousand five was make making a lot of money with the Resident Evil movies. I mean, they were big the first few.
0: I keep I I need to remind people for the record that those movies are actually really popular in Japan. I know that we think they suck here, (laughs) but they are really popular in Japan. So someone likes them.
2: (laughs) I think yeah, it's the most successful video game franchise uh, movie, video game franchise. So.
1: Things are going well, and then, uh, oops, another uh, corporate thing happens.
2: <laughs> so, yeah. So, in order to keep the doors open, yeah. they start looking for contract work, um, as a lot of indie developers have to do. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, they get into business with Vivendi. Uh, Vivendi wants to create a um, multiple game universe based on Robert Ludlum's books. Uh, And I think that if you're not familiar with Ludlum, you probably know the Bourne movies. That's sort of his uh, most popular. Uh, And what Ubisoft wants to... uh, What Vivendi wants to do is make basically their Tom Clancy. They want all of these different games based on uh, Robert Ludlum's work. And the first one is going to be based on Bourne. So they contract high moon to make the born conspiracy. And so for a time, both games are in development simultaneously, dark watch, uh, and the born conspiracy. Um, but the is not interested in dark watch at all. Uh, obviously they don't publish it. And in fact, they're kind of not even happy that they're making dark watch because, you know, they don't own dark watch. Mm-hmm. And, uh, High Moon is using their resources on the game that they care about, the one that they've created. But Vivendi's wondering, you know, are we getting your best people? Are you spending <laughs> your most time on this? So there's a little bit of push and pull with, uh, with these two different competing interests.
0: They're putting the B team on Born the Born series. Yeah.
2: I don't know anything about that in Game Dev. <laughs> <laughs> never done. Um, hard thing to navigate, right?
1: Yeah, so um they they end up finding publishers, but I I, I kind of lost the thread here. Is this uh post Vivendi?
0: Well you you jumped the thread because uh uh you were talking about like the movie deals and stuff, and that sort of I think that came Sarah, after you're... the Capcom sure. and Ubisoft okay, so uh, the, the, publishing so the, part, right? Right,
1: so so the game does have publishers at this point. Um two of them in fact, right?
2: Yeah, so uh they've got Capcom and Ubi publishing um the game comes out in 2005 and they continue working on Born after that for a couple more years. Okay. Uh and during development of Born they eventually enter into uh negotiations for Vivendi to acquire them because Vivendi is really happy with the work that they're doing on Born and they see High Moon as the studio that's going to spearhead the Ludlum universe. There's some other studios working on Ludlum stuff at the time. I don't think any of it ever came to fruition, um, but they want High Moon to move forward and do more Bourne, more Robert Ludlum stuff. So eventually- It's just not
0: nearly as good of a, a like box art name as Tom Clancy.
1: <laughs> <Ludlum>. Yeah.
0: <laughs> 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 Robert <laughs> Ludlums. <laughs> well, if
1: you can put The Bourne in front of every game title, you're
0: going Sure, out. but I mean, he has more series than that, right? I mean, is that-
1: yeah, they're but not I, all born. I don't
0: know anything other than the, the Born series, well, but the I Bourne assume- There's the Born
1: Gaiden, there's the- <laughs> <laughs>
0: But I assume that they would have, you know, just as yeah, Tom Clancy has multiple different franchises that they- I think uh...
2: that's right. Yeah, it's not all Born. I mean, they could have called it the Ludiverse or something. I don't know.
0: Mm, okay.
2: Mm-hmm. Hire Marketing. this
0: man. Yes, when... thank
2: you. Thank you. <laughs> When Born Conspiracy came out, it was Robert Ludlum's The Born Conspiracy on the box. So I think that was what they they intended for all of them to be Robert Ludlum's. But yeah, Kelsey's totally right. Terrible. It's nearly as strong as Clancy. (laughs) (laughs) Um. So Dark Watch does come out. How does it do? Dark Watch is pretty under the radar. Um, The it was a Playboy. it, was it, it under it, the radar?
0: I'm, I'm I was gonna say,
2: yeah. the mar- The marketing was strong; it w- it was compelling. Um, but the the problem is that the publishers didn't own the game, so the game came out. They made their money. Everybody moved on.
0: Right. The What's wasn't... the motivation for really making this a, a huge game if you don't own it?
2: Yeah. So you know, they the the feedback they get, and this is you know, two thousand five. So they get they get written press. Um, which is m- middling to positive, um, but other than that, th- you know, there's no money being put into um, like player research or like you know f- finding out how the game was really received. There was really no way to do that at the time, especially without a budget for it. Um, but they're they're fully intent on continue on darkwatch and while they're doing born they're starting to you know come up with their ideas uh for the sequel
1: so i don't understand why vivendi is greenlighting a sequel or allowing this to happen do you have any insight into that so
2: vivendi kind of goes dark okay on high moon um born comes out uh and they contract well, they own them at this point, and they set them up to start working on the next born. Um, and tell them that start working on Darkwatch 2 as well. Or c- more, do whatever you want. And they kind of get a sense that they're getting ghosted by Vivendi. They s- stop taking, you know, normal the normal things you would expect your parent company to do they're just not happening and I think that that's when they started to suspect something was going on so are they
1: sort of going like well the bosses aren't really looking let's just work <laughs> on the thing we want to work on and hope for that's
2: kind of the sense I got
1: yeah yeah <laughs> that rules yeah <laughs> So, okay, so um, they're working on a, a, a sequel concept for Dark Watch. Um, spoiler alert, it doesn't come out if, you, if, you, if, you're, <laughs> yeah. if you're a Dark Watch fan and didn't know. Um, so, I mean, where are they sort of going with this franchise? It seems like um, they've got a fairly uh, ambitious, high concept for a sequel here.
2: They did, yeah. Um, this is the probably the most tragic part of the story is a Dark Watch fan, because I think that what they wanted to do. Uh, was really compelling. Um, from the very beginning, uh, Dark Watch was always conceptualized as a uh, multi generational, um, through different time periods, thing, right? Uh, it was created first during the Roman Empire, and they wanted to see what Dark Watch could be in all different time periods. They called it Dark Watch Through the Ages.
0: It's Assassin's Creed before Assassin's Creed.
2: It w- mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it, exactly. So um, for the sequel um, they wanted to take Dark Watch to the distant future and uh, it would have been um, basically a vampire holocaust story. The only surviving humans are kept in camps so that they can be hunted and um, eaten. Um, there is a girl who uh, her blood is poisonous to vampires and she's going to be the savior of humanity. So, uh, you know, Darkwatch has lost, but there are people that remember the legends and they go find Jericho and Jericho is in a tomb and they wake him up and um, and now it's third person. Um, and yeah, that that's sort of the concept. Jericho is going to come back in save this uh, little girl and then defeat the vampires with her special blood.
0: I thought it was interesting that uh, there were some quotes from uh, one of the developers in there, how they were talking about dark watch 2 really kind of lasering in on the multiplayer aspect when there's so much, like, again, all of this just sounds like a really strong single player story. And then, so I was surprised to hear them be like, but what we really want is really good multiplayer. And I'm like, really? Cause all of that just sounded like single player, (laughs) you know, good single player stuff.
2: It was, they were always thinking bigger, further. What, like, how can we keep pushing Darkwatch? Like they had just the grandest ideas for it. And when I asked them about like, you know, what would Darkwatch be had it continued on? What would Darkwatch in 2021 be like? They're like, told me things like, you know, a live service game, something like, you know, destiny, like this big world where dark watch exists. Like they always imagined bigger and bigger with the franchise. So yeah, it didn't surprise me when they said multiplayer, even though you're totally right. It's a very like campaign story focused game. Um, But yeah, they, they just always wanted to keep doing more with it.
0: And they talk a lot about how, uh, you know, in your article, pretty much all of the developers are like, yeah, I'd come back to this in a heartbeat. I loved this game. I loved this concept. You know, we really had something here. Um, and I'm just curious what you think as a Darkwatch fan. I mean, it's been like 16 years almost now. It, if you brought back Darkwatch today, would people remember it as Darkwatch or would this feel like a brand new thing again? Like, has it been so long and was it? did it make not enough of an impact that this would even feel like a, a sequel at this point?
2: Yeah, it's a good question because I think that I think Darkwatch has become so much more than that one story or these one this one character. I think like the the idea of the haunted west has continued on and grown into other properties and you know part of the impetus for this story um, at the Game Awards uh last December there was a trailer for uh I think it's called Evil West. It's a new shooter that could be dark watch. Like I, we've only seen one trailer for it, um, but it could be the reboot of dark watch. And in fact, so many people thought it was dark watch or a reboot of dark watch that I remember seeing on Twitter after the game awards, like dark watch was trending a little bit for a short time. Like really?
0: Were, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. People
2: were talking about it. So, um, you know, on, on the strength of dark watch, no, no, Like, I don't think, like, everybody's going to be like, oh, sweet, Darkwatch is back. But on the ideas of Darkwatch, yeah, absolutely, we're seeing that. Um, You know, there's also uh, uh, Weird West coming out later this year, which is a little different. But it's still sharing these, like, sensibilities, this genre mashup with the Western and with horror and action. Are
0: these actual titles Evil West and Weird West? At the yeah. same time.
2: Uh yeah. Evil <laughs> Evil West is a uh, flying hog. Um and Weird West is uh I, I mispronounce his name all the time. Colantanio, I think from Arcane. Dr- Got it.
0: Okay. Um, I feel off. like I I pay attention, but like so many there's just so many game announcements that just, you know, if it's not something that hooks me, it just <laughs> in one ear out the other, I mm. guess. I wish I would have caught that, that we had two. Games that are just adjective West coming out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so so explain to us um, essentially the fate of the Darkwatch sequel. Like, like they were developing it, but what happened? What ultimately killed it? So
2: Favendi uh, goes radio silent on High Moon because they are in the process of uh, merging with Activision. Uh Vivendi owns Blizzard, and that's how Activision Blizzard is born. Uh so when that deal finally concludes, um we get sort of a repeat of history. Uh Activision comes to visit their new studio, High Moon, kick the tires, much like Sega did. Uh and they're very excited to show them everything they're working on. Like, you know, here's the sequel to Born. Here's what we're doing with Darkwatch 2. And they're like, great. you Very talented studio. Your work looks great. You guys are going to make Transformers now. <sighs> and High Moon pivots to one of the very similarly titled Transformers games. I think it was something Cybertron, War for Cybertron. They did. I think they did two Transformers games. Um, but when you say they Hi- um, High Moon yeah. right
1: but yeah when we're talking about High Moon we're talking about the the entity High Moon not necessarily this core group of creators we're discussing right
2: yeah um, as soon as they find out that they're gonna that High Moon is gonna be put on Transformers these four co-creators of Darkwatch resigned uh, I believe all four on the same day um, because that's not what they that's not what they started the studio to do. You know, High Moon was created to make original IPs and Dark Watch is the only original IP they ever made. And it, it's an incredible studio that's had a ton of success. You know, they're, they're a great support studio for Activision. They work on Call of Duty. They used to work on Destiny, but they've never, they never again got to make an original IP.
0: That's, I just feel like this whole story of High Moon from, you know, from Sammy to High Moon, uh, It just feels like these poor guys can't catch a break. You know, the it's set up uh, even from the very beginning to be what could be a really interesting powerhouse studio of new IP. And then they just kind of didn't really, I mean, they got a shot to do it once and that's it.
2: It's, it's such a fascinating game industry story with twists and turns. And it's, I think it's a great snapshot of the industry at the time, but it's, Also still very much what it's like today. I mean, it's just a constant struggle to keep the doors open. You take the deals that you can get and yeah. And and the studio just moved in the directions it had to move and it, they didn't get to do what they originally set out to do, but you know, the fact that the studio still exists and is still owned by a giant company like that is a win. Uh, Even if it is tragic for dark watch.
0: People are still getting paid. Sure, I mean, uh, so you interviewed four, all four of these people, or
2: I interviewed the four co-creators of Darkwatch. Yeah,
0: yeah. Are did any of them are any of them doing IP creation now? I don't. I I haven't looked into any of these people really, so I don't know if where they ended up after this.
2: Um. I'm not sure what I'm allowed to say. (laughs) (laughs) Totally fair. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The answer is that they're all still in game dev in high profile creative positions. Got it.
1: Um, I think one of the sort of unfortunate business realities here is that this franchise, you might argue, didn't survive because its creators owned it. You know, like like if if it were actually owned by someone like a Capcom, I could see that being, you know, a franchise that they continued to invest in. But um, because, as your article points out, there's not that much incentive to, right. to, to really market and push this franchise, uh, no one did. And so it was up to the creators who didn't have the cash flow. And that's, you know, it's one of those, it's an extreme nuance you know in the business world that like sometimes corporate money you need it to, to to be creative
0: yeah i mean it's a it's a trade-off right and you have to find you have to strike that perfect balance of uh you know some corporate control that's given with the money but not so much that the creative people are, are pushed off of it or you know silenced about it so um yeah it's a that's a frustrating landscape i feel like
2: yeah that's absolutely right you know when when things first started out and they had sammy's buy in you know th- this is arcwatch this is what we want to do and the parent company said yes we love that make that game you know they they could go anywhere with it but they were always trying to get that buy in from their parent companies going forward and they never could they couldn't get it from vivendi they couldn't get it from activision and when they didn't have that support that's why darkwatch couldn't flourish but you know you mentioned like if capcom had owns owned it this is a a story for a different podcast but i'll I'll just touch on it um capcom vancouver before they closed down um they were looking at different IPs that they could work on besides Dead Rising. Uh, And they were very interested in doing Darkwatch. Um, Unbeknownst to the developers there at that specific studio, Capcom did not own Darkwatch. They found that out later. Um, But they hired O'Connor to come work on an IP that maybe could have been Darkwatch, you know, had that studio continued. And the only reason that 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 one stands out specifically is because they had the buy-in from Capcom to do it, you know? Um, and that's, that's, you're, you're totally right, Frank. That's ultimately what killed dark watch was that they just couldn't get that support.
0: Wait, did Capcom hire O'Connor to work on dark watch?
2: So Capcom hired O'Connor to work on a new IP. The code name for the project was Panther. Um, but there was a time, and, and you know, new IPs or, or new projects are f- sort of fluid. There was a time in that early development that it could have been Darkwatch.
0: Okay. I'm just curious if they, like, tried to hire him because they thought they owned Darkwatch, <laughs> and he was just like, yeah. <laughs> like, so so the story... He must have known that Capcom didn't own
2: Yeah. <laughs> so so the story is... Um, uh. I, I I don't know which Capcom person's name is, but um, he has a friend of a friend of Paul's, of Paul O'Connor's. And when they're talking about hiring someone for the new game, Paul's name comes up and the Capcom guy is like, oh, does he come with Darkwatch? So yeah, you're totally right. <laughs> That's what they were hoping. They were hoping to get O'Connor so that they could have Darkwatch. Right, Obviously be- they hired him because he's a good he's a great developer right. but <laughs> and to be fair there
1: there might have been some thought that they could uh go and acquire dark watch right. Right? right they weren't like completely they weren't dumb you know they were right. like, no, no. hiring people thinking <laughs> they owned a thing they didn't um as far as we know uh activision owns dark watch the ip
2: that's correct. Activision owns Darkwatch. Um, has never made an indication to the creators that they're interested in doing anything with it at all, uh, which is, I think, is probably par for the course. Um, you know, they tried to get at some point. They had some conversations about maybe that they could get those rights back from Activision. They didn't go very far. Um, I think maybe that they were quoted a price that was going to just be way too high. But I just. Don't think Activision has any incentive to sell it. You know what if, what if Activision gave away the rights to that game and then it became huge,
1: right?
0: So better so, not make it at yeah, all.
2: Yeah, yep. Better. <laughs> so just carry it.
1: <laughs> we don't want anyone to have success, um, including ourselves. Uh, does seem like a good remastering candidate, uh, especially yeah. considering that there is no definitive version of the game between the two mm, before,
2: the, before the before the. Toys for Bob News last week. I was thinking that we just got Tony Hawk remastered. Mm. Right. You know, we we got the the Spyro and Crash remastered. Like we're looking, we're seeing Activision take old IPs and try to bring them back. Like that is a great sign.
0: And have a ton that. of success with them and then tell them shut up and make Call of Duty.
2: Yep. Or go make <laughs> Diablo two. Yeah. So take all all those uh, studios that are doing amazing remasters and then just roll them up in the things that we already know are successful.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you can't, it, in some level of fairness, you can't constantly remake the same games, but, yeah. but yeah, I mean, to your point, they have a bunch of other things. I'm sure dark watch is not the only just kind of sitting there collecting dust IP that.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, they, they, have a ton. they own, they own Sierra. I mean, yeah, they have (laughs) all kinds of stuff. (laughs) Um, Well, okay. This is a little bit beyond the show, but I I don't know that any Sierra IP can like have a comeback. I don't, I think we're past the age of Leisure Suit Larry.
0: Well, Um, yes. (laughs) What do you mean? There's
2: new Leisure Suit Larry games coming out. (laughs) They exist, but (laughs) we're past the age of Leisure Suit Larry. It's now a niche product.
1: Um, But yeah, um, I wanted to go a little bit into the process, um, and this is not calling you out or anything. It's just okay. a valid question, but uh, the the imagery in the article is from an art book for Dark Watch. Uh, the pics are kind of blurry. Did you have to resort to like an internet scan of this book to find
2: I s- illustrations? I, I scan them on my scanner at home. Gotcha. Okay. So the book... Is a a well out of print book, right? Two thousand
1: five, I would have guess. Right? Yeah,
2: and I it was very hard to find too. I wow. ended up finding the book at a Goodwill outside of Portland. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Been waiting yeah. to publish this article till you could find that book. <laughs> Goodwill. Uh, yeah.
2: yeah, so uh, the book is fantastic. I don't assume it's easy to find, but if if you can, um, all, almost all of it was written by Farzad, and it's got um, yeah a lot of really beautiful concept art in it but yeah that that was my scanner hey it's the best i could do <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. i didn't mean to call out your scanner um i think it, I, th- I think it was I thought, worth i thought i though. thought it would
1: go i thought it would go down an interesting conversation where it's like we can't find the book anymore and i had to
2: resort on but <laughs> not everyone
0: has really nice scanners at home <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think uh I don't think any of these images existed online before this. No,
1: I, I don't think it. so either. And that's kind of where I was going with that, which is that um, you know, it's it's tough to do articles like you did. I mean, you essentially had to find a book at a thrift store and get uh four, I believe fairly high profile people in the, the game development industry to to speak to you on the record about it, and, and it, it couldn't have been easy to get all this together. Uh,
2: yeah, thank you. It was difficult. Um, I had a very slight connection to Paul O'Connor, just because he had uh, worked at Capcom with uh, a friend that I grew up with. So when I reached out to him, I was able to at least say, like, hey, we sort of have this p- point of contact. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, to his credit, like, incredibly, uh, generous with his time. Um, and I didn't expect this story at all. I mean, I wanted to talk about dark watch and the making of it and reminisce about it, but I had no idea, you know, how complex and involved the story was. So I I talked to Paul O'Connor for hours, just into the night and he set me up with the rest of the co-creators and the story just kept growing and growing and growing uh, beyond what I I ever anticipated.
0: Did these guys seem, I mean, it certainly, it sounds like O'Connor was very eager to uh, talk about this and kind of get the story out there. I mean, was that your experience with all of these people that you talked to was that they were like, yeah, I I want the story of dark watch to live on and be told.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, I am such a fan of this game, but the more and more I talk to people about it, there's not that I don't know that that many people know about the, the game. So, uh these guys hadn't told this story before. They 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 all told me that they get asked about Dark Knight, but it's, you know, what what happened in the sequel? It's never been um, you know, the the full story in this way before, which surprised me a little bit. Um, but I guess it is just a, a super culty under underground thing
1: Uh, maybe but it also just could be that no one tried before you know like it i think that happens a lot and and i think if there's a lesson here it's like if you're particularly interested in a story it's it's very possible that the people who were involved would love to talk about it and no one has asked them before i mean how many stories have we heard kelsey about you know like famous Japanese composers who until recently had no idea that people even listened to their work. Like, yeah. Like make like yeah. a man Two. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it was only a few years ago that someone approached uh, the the main composer and, and explained that people liked that music, you know? Yeah. Um, so it can be
2: tough just because this industry is so secretive, mm-hmm. and so guarded. Yep. And, you know, there, there were people, there are plenty of people I try to talk to that just don't want To talk to me even if it's about a very old game or an old story so it can still be really surprising when when you talk to a developer and they're very open about their story and they want people to know because you know a lot of people are so afraid of getting in trouble just for telling their own story still
1: and i think a lot of it might be just you know your position of power within within your environment right like if someone's If someone's, you know, I I, I don't mean to make this sound degrading, but like just an engineer at a studio, for example, as opposed to someone in like a director role, they might not feel as confident in their, their job security, you know, as someone who's more of like a a, a studio head or something like
2: that. Yeah, for sure. Like, I'm sure that there were plenty of people at High Moon that knew the story that knew all these details, but they weren't in a position where they could speak confidently the subject right and i mean
0: some companies have much stricter uh ndas than others or at least they they make you feel like their ndas are much stricter right they beat it into you so i
1: mean how many times have we come across people who are worried about ndas from like 30 years ago yeah (laughs) right
0: (laughs) i i spoke to someone who uh worked you know not on any uh, any games directly at nintendo but worked at nintendo uh about 15 years ago and he straight up told me he's like oh yeah my nda was for 10 years and i'm like 10 years you know how many people have been afraid to talk to me from <laughs> not not that you know every nda is built the same or anything mm. but um yeah the, some of these do expire <laughs> and they yeah, still freak people yeah, out
2: you really just never know until you ask i guess
0: <laughs> yeah and i mean to, to frank's point it's like if you have think there's a story out there that you want to tell. I mean, please go try asking because a Mm. lot of these people have never been asked before.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm inspired. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Eric, uh, I think that about wraps it up here. Thank you so much uh, for joining us on the video game history hour. Um, Where can people find you on the internet?
2: Yeah. uh, Follow me on Twitter. That's at Epic And, um, check out thegamer.com. It is a fairly new site. Uh, Just started in 2017. But I think that the work that um, my colleagues are doing there is like really incredible. It's just a lot of really up and coming writers that are really passionate. And I'm really proud of the work that we do there. I I hope that more people start to check us out.
1: Heck of a domain too. And uh, these links and more will be uh, in the show notes. Uh, So thank you again, Eric.
2: Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Video Game History Hour brought to you by the Video Game History Foundation. If you have questions or comments for the show, you can find us on Twitter at Game History Hour or email us at podcast at GameHistory.org. Did you know that the Video Game History Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit and that all of your contributions are tax deductible? You can support this podcast and all of our other work on Patreon or at GameHistory.org slash donate. This episode of the Video Game History Hour was produced by Robin Kunamune and edited by Michael Carroll. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.